guys are going to miss those when we stop doing those. We should just do those forever, right? And uh, I already know some of you are tired of them, too. I've gotten that word. So, uh, And I just want to welcome you this morning. And uh, that's just to illustrate our series, Be Wise, Stop Doing Dumb Things. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about wisdom and our propensity to do dumb things. And we're looking at how can we, you know, be preemptive about this so that when we're not always looking back going, next time I'll do it differently, but we're looking forward and saying, this time I'll do it differently because I want a different result as I'm going forward. So uh, I just want to invite you to grab these message notes out of your program. You're going to be able to follow along and, uh, and take some notes today. All the Bible verses will be here. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Proverbs. That's where we're going to be today. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love to see you have a Bible. So if you'd stop at uh, just the bookshelves as you leave today, and if you don't own a Bible, just take one as our gift to you. We'd love to see you have a Bible of your own. And right at the top of these notes is our theme verse, but also it's going to be on the screen. So I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd read it out loud with me. Okay, ready, go. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. Lots of positive words about the wisdom that God offers to us and then what that can do for us in our lives. And today I get to talk about sex. And so we're going to talk about in Proverbs and look through it about uh, what it has to say about sexuality and how can I be wise about sex. So kind of like this is the talk, you know, when you have, you know, teenagers and it's time to have the talk. Well, it's time to have the talk. And we're going to do that today. And I hope if you have teenagers, you don't just do it once, okay? You've got to do it more than once. So that means I'm going to have to come back and talk about this again at another time. Because I was telling people that the struggle with today is how much I had to cut out just so we get out on time. And then as I'm delivering, I'm going, did I cut it out? Did I leave it? Did I cut it out? Did I leave it? It's kind of going through this talk today. But I think you'll get the drift as we talk about how important this is and what God wants to say. But first of all, I just want to say this. I'm very sensitive today. To those of you, and I will just say those of us, uh, who have failed sexually. I'm just very sensitive knowing that this is uh, uh, when there's a failure sexually, that there's a high cost that's paid. Uh, sometimes the consequences we carry on then for the rest of our lives from our failure. And I know that it can be so difficult. And so I'm very sensitive to those of us in the room. And I would just say, just to be honest, that probably everyone here at some point has failed sexually. And I was very sensitive to that. And what I want to encourage you to do is, you know, if you're feeling that even right now, is that you wouldn't just, as we go through our time together, rehearse your failures. I'm just going to ask you not to do that. I'm going to ask you instead to rehearse the grace you've experienced from God. As we talk about it today, because the enemy would want this to be a day to discourage you. And really, it's a day to bring you hope. Secondly, is that I'm also sensitive to those in the room who are single, who are widowed, who are divorced, who are handicapped in some way, and that as you're looking at this whole idea of sex, it's really difficult for you to comprehend uh, the idea of being abstinent, the idea of refraining from sexuality, especially if you've been married before and uh, having been that myself or I was a widower that... I realize how easy it is to kind of just slip back into intimacy once you've known intimacy. And I'm just very sensitive. And today what I hope is that you will see that God has set up some boundaries and parameters 
And it wasn't to cause us to miss out on fun. It wasn't to cause us to miss out on joy, but it was actually so that we could experience the true joy that can come when we live within his boundaries. So I'm sensitive to that. I'm also sensitive to those of you who I know won't, won't agree with me today. That you're already, you know, like, okay, here we go. I know what he's going to say today. And you've already built up some defenses because you've heard the church say this before. And I'm just sensitive about that. And I'm really glad that you're here. And my prayer today is that if you're in that place, that you would just go with this today and just allow what God's word has to say. And, and I'm doing my best to not give you Ron Thompson's version, but what God has to say uh, through Proverbs. And Proverbs is very clear. Uh, about our sexuality today and that we'd be able to track along. Now, uh, I want to begin with a verse from Proverbs chapter 5. And uh, if we can read that, it talks about the idea of wisdom. And it says this, Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. Never stray away. Would you underline that? And I want you to focus on it. Never stray away from what I'm about to say. And what I want to encourage you today is that if you can lock and load on this today, if you can get it inside of you, the encouragement that the Bible would give you is just don't stray away from what we're talking about today. And if you can stay on track, then you will alleviate yourself of a lifetime of struggle and consequences that really uh, you don't want to carry the rest of your life. Now, so talk about how to be wise with sexuality. Now, I know that when you go to church and someone talks about sex, that you expect them to say words like no, don't, or stop, okay? I just know that when you come to church and there's a message on sex, those are the words you expect. So I don't want to disappoint you, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Okay, so here we go. We're going to have two don'ts and a do today. Two don'ts and a do. First don't is this. Don't undervalue sex. Don't undervalue sex. You're like, what? How could you ever undervalue sex? We live in such a sexually charged culture. How would anyone ever undervalue it? Well, What I want to talk about today is this, don't undervalue biblical sex. Don't undervalue it the way that God has given it to us in life. I believe we undervalue, especially the church, but the culture as well, we undervalue how God looks at sex, and that causes us to miss out on the great gift he's given us. The Bible describes sex and marriage in words that are so erotic that it's actually even a little too hot to handle in our day, let alone in the day on which it was written, I'm sure. So I'll show you what I mean, okay? Let's look at some verses from Proverbs, and we'll look at the symbolism that's in these verses as we go through this. And uh, I think when I finish this, that some of you go home and read Proverbs, because you think, I want to dig some of that stuff out of there too. We're going to dig some out, okay? So here we go. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Okay, let's pause there. Symbolism here is talking about the wife and talking about the well, and it's a picture of the female anatomy and the expression of sex that's going on with the well, that you go into the well to get the waters. You go into the well to get the water. So there's a picture there of what happens with female sexuality. He goes on to say this. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. So here the picture is of the male sexuality. And it's saying, don't spew your water in the streets 
on any woman that comes along. Instead, reserve it for your wife, the wife who would be a fountain of blessing for you. So he's saying that. It's very clear here. He's pointing out the fact that that there's a well, and that's a woman's anatomy, and then the, the spewing of the fountain is the man's anatomy that he's talking about here. And he's saying that he's saying um, that this is the way that God has designed it to be. He's also saying this. He's saying don't have sex with just anyone. Don't have sex with just anyone. Sex is the physical expression between a husband and wife and the context of marriage. So casual sex, free sex, hooking up, and living together in our culture, what it says, that it says it's okay, that God would say that's not okay. So having sex in that environment would be having it out of the way that he says, the boundaries he set up for sex. And he goes on and says this, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And so, you know, Kim and I have been talking about that verse, and so we're getting older, but we're still rejoicing in, in the relationship that God's given us. And it says this, she is a loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you always. So, you know, when I was reading this, I thought, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I don't remember ever anybody ever reading this verse out loud. <laughs> <laughs> ever! <laughs> and I didn't know this stuff was in the Bible. And that's why I said, some of you are going to go home and you're going to read your Bible from cover to cover today, you know. May you always be captivated by her love. Circle that word captivated. That word captivated literally means to stagger as if you are drunk. To stagger as if you are drunk. And so the wisdom writer is saying, you should be absolutely crazy, intoxicated, drunk in love. That's what he's saying. Absolutely drunk in love. And what we have here is an incredibly positive view of sexuality. Uh, this is barefaced rejoicing in sexual pleasure and if you read this, there isn't the tiniest bit of prudishness here, is there? Not at all. In fact, the writer is asking for divine blessing on the fountain and divine blessing on the well. And so I just want to say, if you're married, you know, that this, you would want to ask and pray, God, bless the well. God, bless the fountain. It's an honest prayer to pray that God would do that in your marriage. It's very clear. God wants to bless men, and he wants to bless women with sexual fulfillment and pleasure in the context of marriage. The Bible isn't down on sex. The Bible talks about sex and paints a picture of a moment of joy and of celebration. It's more than just some kind of full-body handshake, like our culture would say it is. It's more than that. It's more than just the physical thing that happens. Sex provides an intimacy of heart and soul and mind and body and spirit. Sex powerfully unites two people and makes them one. It's why it's so important to keep it in the context of marriage. Because when you have sex with another person, the Bible says Adam knew Eve and they had a child. Knew is yada. It means to know intimately. And when you know someone intimately, sex is the commitment. It's the, it's the act that bonds the commitment together. And when you have sex with someone you're not married to, you look back and there's always a struggle in relationships as they go back and think about that because you've made yourself one with another person. The Bible says you're to be crazy in love. You're to be intoxicated with the love of your spouse. Now, based on what I've said here, this is not typically how you would think or have heard that the church portrays sex, Right? Or that media portrays the way that the church would portray sex. You think about this. You think about hot sex and marriage. Is that what culture thinks the church would talk about? 
No, not at all. They would say it's all about don't, don't, don't. But this is the theme of the Bible concerning sex. Now look at these next verses. Here's some, he's using a literary device to make a point. Three very wonderful things and then one amazing thing. He says this. There are three things that amaze me. No, four things that I don't understand. How an eagle glides through the sky, how a snake slithers on a rock, how a ship navigates the ocean, how a man loves a woman. So he's just given a picture here that there's, there's three pictures and then the picture of sexuality. And the first picture is how an eagle flies. You know, really, if you thought about it, how does an eagle ever fly? It's a beautiful picture of the wonder of creation that an eagle can fly through the sky and penetrate the sky as it's going through the air. And think about this. Think about a snake on a flat, smooth rock. How does a snake on a flat, smooth rock without the little legs underneath crawl? It slithers across there, and it's the beauty of the wonder of creation here that he's given. And then how does a ship navigate the ocean? How do you put a piece of wood in the ocean, and then it floats, and it floats in this huge ocean, and it goes somewhere? It's another beautiful picture of, really, penetration. And as you go through this, and how you have these items that are pictures of soaring and freedom. And then he says, and guess what? This is how a man loves a woman. This is how a man loves a woman. It's just a beautiful picture of what God has designed when he designed sex between a man with a woman. One author I said this week, read this week, said it this way. This poetry, the verses we just read, is making the point that the most beautiful and wondrous mode of cre- moment of creation is when a man and a woman have a sexual encounter. The most beautiful moment in creation is when a man and a woman have a sexual encounter. In God's plan, sex is more than consumption. Sex is celebration. It's all about commitment. It's all about commitment. Now, why is it about commitment? Well, because in our culture, one of the myths is this, one of the myths in our day is that sex is easy. Sex is easy. Easy. So you see TVs and you see movies, and we're constantly bombarded by images of beautiful, attractive, sexy, eager people with beautiful, perfect, sexy bodies, living beautiful, perfect, sexy lives, and that's the way that sex is portrayed in the media. And we look at that and we think, well, it should be easy. It should be easy for all of us. It's so easy on TV. It's so easy in the movie. Why wouldn't it be easy for me? But in real life, real relationships are about dirty dishes, about unpaid bills, about watching sick kids, about getting homework done, about managing job stress, about coping with money issues, uh, about trying to deal with goofy in-laws, being worn out, and then, and then in the bedroom, dealing with exhaustion, distraction, shyness, fear of not pleasing, trying to understand physical issues that crop up occasionally, or reliving memories of the past. Sex is deeply tied to character and relationship and commitment, and it's not easy, but in a committed relationship, it is possible. It is possible to have the kind of sex that the Bible talks about in these verses that we looked at. God is not approved. He's not approved concerning sex when he calls you to keep yourself pure. He calls you to keep yourself pure until marriage. He's not approved when he does that, does that, and he's not approved when he asks you to keep sex inside the marriage relationship, pure before and within the relationship. He's not approved. So I would just say it this way. Let's don't undervalue sex. Let's value it highly the way that God has designed it to be between a man and a woman in a committed 
marriage relationship. Okay, second is this. Don't overvalue beauty. Don't overvalue beauty. So as a culture, what we do is we value the ideal instead of the real. The ideal instead of the real. We value the external more than we value the internal. Now, I want to show you some verses that kind of, I mean, some photos that actually give us an idea of how culture, how we're so caught up in this and extreme about it that we really don't even want to look at pictures of people as they really are, but we always want to look at the Photoshop version. So let's look at some Photoshop versions of pictures here. This is Kate Moss, the actress, and you look at her on the left. This is, these are two pictures identical, one that didn't get published and one that did, uh, obviously, in the magazine that was for it. So on the left is how she really is, and then on the right is the Photoshopped version that then people saw. So we can't see the fact that Kate has wrinkles and that she, you know, uh, is not perfect. And so everything was altered to make her look perfect in this way, even her hair. So let's look at the next one, Lindsay Lohan. On the left is how she really was. And then the right is the version that got published. And so once again, we see that we couldn't see Lindsay as she really is, but we see this picture. Now, here's the, here's the damage in this is that we don't see Lindsay's real picture. We, we, when we open up magazines or when we look at media, we're actually seeing the touched up picture and we look at that and we think that's reality. We think that that's really what Lindsay looks like. And so then we look at her and then we go look in the mirror and we say, well, I could not look like her. And so we end up frustrated and disappointed. And then we do extreme things to ourselves in order to change that. Now, this would be fair. Let's look at guys. Guys do it too. There's George Clooney. And so you see George there, and they see on the left, and, you know, and they, took, they took out his gray hair. I thought that was like one of his most handsome features uh, <laughs> that they took out there and got rid of. And, but they, see, they also want you to think that George is not that, but he looks way better, in fact, than he actually does. See, as a culture, we don't want to see people as they really are. We want to see people perfectly. And then as we see them perfectly, then we determine that that's what normal is and that we want to be the same way. Now, Proverbs warns against this. Look at Proverbs 11. It says, A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. <laughs> Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? It's supposed to. It's supposed to sound disgusting. So here's the idea. You see this beautiful gold ring, and you're attracted to the beautiful gold ring, and you see it, you want it. So you pull close to it, and then you grab it, and then when you do, you realize that it's attached to a pig that rolls around in the mud and the muck and the slop and the feces, and then you're, now what you have is a gold ring, but you also have a pig in your lap, this ugly, gross, disgusting pig. What you thought was beautiful ends up being quite ugly and something that you don't want. You reach for beauty, what you thought was beauty, and you ended up with a mess. And you're going, well, what idiot would do that? Okay, I'm not going to answer that question. Okay, so here we go. The writer of wisdom saying is that you look at a person based on their attractiveness, based on their beauty, that you're making it based on a very shallow standard, and you're going to end up with a mess on your hands if that's the only way that you look at a person is based on how they look. You're making a choice to pursue a relationship that's based on another person only on what, how they look, apart from their character, apart from their heart, apart from their life. And the proverb says, when you do that, you're making a huge mistake. What the Bible shows, and this is what we're going to look at next week, by the way, I just encourage you about next week. 
what we're going to talk about next week is it's the inside that counts. The most important part of a person is not the external appearance. If we could just get that through our heads, the most important part of a person is the internal character and heart and the passions they have and the beauty that's inside of there. And so many people are being overlooked and so many people are being discarded in our culture today because they can't be beautiful. Because they can't be. We've overemphasized beauty in our culture today. And what we're encouraging us to do is that we might stop that, stop it in ourselves, but we even might stop it culturally. I was watching a TED Talk this week, and really I think I only saw about five minutes of the TED Talk, and it was a woman talking about the sexualization and commodification of women. And so as I was watching this, she was talking about the way that women are portrayed in culture today, especially in the media and uh, she made an estimate that somewhere around 90, a little over 90% of the pictures we see of women today have been doctored. They've been photoshopped. So that when you see a picture, you're thinking that's normal, and you just keep seeing those normal, 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 but it's not normal. It's a photoshopped picture of a woman, and we then look at that, and we overvalue that beauty in some way. We decide that that's perfect, and that if I can't be if I want to be loved and liked, I have to be perfect like that woman. Now, it's just, the reason this is such a big deal, folks, is that unlike in the day that Proverbs was written, and I'm sure this had its own issues and its own struggles in that day, we live in a day where there are just images everywhere. We can't get away from images, can we? Everywhere we look, we see another image. You can't even go online today. If you want to go to a normal site, will that there be some shopping image on the sides that scream up at you and usually... Many times that there will be, you know, beautiful people there trying to draw you in to purchase or buy or be drawn to a product. They're everywhere. And men and women and boys and girls, we look at those images and we say, that's what beautiful, that's what beauty is. And if a girl specifically, but it's just the same with guys, I think, in the same way. But if a girl looks at, specifically girls, they look at that and they say, I'm not beautiful like that. The only way I can be beautiful like that is to add or take away from what God gave me, add or take away from what God gave me, or go to extremes to keep myself looking, you know, 30 when I'm 60, to go to those extremes that I'm going to keep, you know, doing things to make myself look younger so that I'm more appealing, so I feel better about myself, so I think I'm more attractive in some way, that we end up with this, this, this constant push to be beautiful and to be accepted. Another thing that women do is that they, they end up with eating disorders, uh, and in this TED Talk, this gal was talking about a, uh, a model and who this model had anorexia and that she died at 88 pounds. But just prior to getting sick, she was still being photographed and her images were being used because they wanted girls to see that thin was the only way to be beautiful. She died at 88 pounds. Say, so this is why this is such a problem. And Proverbs says that, that our tendency is to objectify and to dehumanize and commodify women by evaluating them strictly on how they look. And I, I see this. I've got a son who's 19, and I see him kind of getting caught up in the same thing, and it's all about 
the, you know, the CrossFit body. It's all about, you know, the muscles, and it's all about, you know, being able to walk around. And, and for other people, I have a junior high daughter, and I see her struggling with, you know, being beautiful as the other kids or what she sees on her, you know, on our computer at home is beautiful, and she's trying to spend a lot of time being beautiful like that. Now, if you don't think this is true, if you don't think we're judging people, I want to I ask you, you could, you could start the same experiment that I do. Uh, kind of exercise, I guess is a better way to say it. I want to suggest that you just observe, and uh, I like to do this in the coffee shop, but there's all kinds of places you can do this. You can do it at the grocery store. You can do it anywhere you go. Just observe, and when a woman walks in the room or walks by, observe. Don't watch the woman. Observe what other people are doing. And what you're going to find is, when you do that, this is what I've discovered, is somewhere around 85 to 90% of the men have their eyes locked on her, even if they're in a conversation. Some, it's just a glance, but some, it's a linger. But this is what shocked me when I started doing this experiment, is how many women do the same thing. So you see women standing there, and and you'll see one woman standing, you see another woman come up, and here, it's just amazing how many times this is the first thing that happened. Assessing to see if this person, how they look to see if I'm beautiful or assessing to say I'm, I'm better and I look better. Then you just do that experiment. You can see how we overvalue beauty in our culture. We overvalue beauty on how we look. And so what happens is, is that when we do that, we get all caught up in the next part of what I want to talk about, and that's pornography. Because we get caught up in pornography. And pornography is probably the number one addiction, this is what I'm hearing today, number one addiction in our culture right now is pornography. And when you look at pornography, and this is, I know we're going to get a little touchy here because this is an issue, uh, some of your homes, and that we have men who just don't understand what pornography does uh, when they view it, what it does to their spouse uh, as they are being compared to a perfect view of a woman. But what the fascinating study I read this week, it said this, and I, was, I didn't quite think it would be this high. 70% of men have viewed pornography in the last 30 days. Pretty high. But here's what even was more amazing to me. 30% of women have viewed pornography in the last 30 days. Pornography is a huge issue in our world and culture today, and it's being... Uh, it's a huge, the money, of the, you know, just the millions and billions of dollars are being made off of pornography. It's just uh, incredible when you look at it. So I just want to, you know, talk about this a little bit. So guys, I would just say this, and gals, but specifically guys, is that the number one tool for pornography today is not your computer. It's your mobile device. It's your mobile device. And so guys, your mobile device needs to have protection on it. And your spouse needs to have access to your passwords and needs to be able to go to your mobile device at any time that she wants to look to see where you've been. And so I just encourage you that you would have that kind of openness in your relationship. And gals, the same is true for you. And I just want to say this. If you have kids and you don't have protection at home on your computer, you're just giving a gun with a bullet in it when it comes to pornography. One author said this. He says, if you had, if someone told you that there's a closet full of pornography in your home and they gave you the key and said, you get to determine how you're going to handle this, that we'd all go home, open it up and throw it all and burn it. It says, if you allow 
a kid to have access to a computer in your home, you're basically giving them access to all the porn in the world, not just a closet full. And it's instantly accessed at the click of a mouse, click of a button. Another person said it this way. said, if you have a 14-year-old son and he has a computer in his room, I guarantee you he's on porn. He, he said it that strongly. I guarantee, you're going, not my kid, not my, no, 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 guarantees on porn. And so what we want to do is we want to say, you know what, it's off limits because we are not going to overvalue beauty in that way, and we're going to stand up to it, and we're going to say, we're going to value what's on the inside of a person, not on the outside, but we're also going to allow protection to come in um, so that we can protect ourselves. Don't overvalue beauty. Okay, look at these verses. Keep these words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. For their command is a lamp and their instruction is a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. It will keep you from, immoral women, from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. You might, don't lust for her beauty is what we're talking about here. And then the description of the most beautiful woman says this. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And that's what you want to do is you want to say, I want to look on the inside instead of what's on the outside. Okay, so don't undervalue sex. Don't overvalue beauty. And you're hearing that today and you're going, well, how the heck do we do that? Because I just want to say, just like we said in every message in this series, it's this is not about willpower, folks. This is not about willpower. It's about a higher power that can work through you. So we all need this next step. And the next one is, I do highly value love. I do highly value love. And I'm talking about God's love for you. Biblical love, God's love for you. You will never be able to be pure sexually if you can believe you can conquer it by trying harder. It's just not going to happen by trying harder. You will only break the hold of undervaluing sex and overvaluing beauty when you have experienced inside and continually the love of Jesus Christ. Ongoing relationship with the love of Jesus Christ. You are set free from the temptations of sex and from sexual sin by the love of a Savior in your life, the love of Jesus Christ. It will never be enough to say, I'm just going to try harder. Just going to try harder. The obsession of sex and beauty comes when we don't see ourselves as lovable and we look for ways from the outside that might show that we're lovable in some ways. And until we're radically sure that we are loved, we're never going to be able to fully break the pull to seek love in the wrong places. In fact, look at what Psalm 63 says. Your unfailing love, talking about God, is better than life itself. How I praise you. So I just say, men and women, you are made for God, and this verse says that his love is better than life. I'll just say it. His love is better than marriage. His love is better than sex. His love is better. As we sang just a few minutes ago in the songs that we sang today, I found a love that is greater than life itself. So I have to value his love highly value it highly. So now what I want to do is I want to give you three attitudes that I want you to just kind of grap grapple with, three attitudes that you can work on in your own life, and for three really different groups of people. First is this, for those who are married, be committed. If you're married, be committed. And after I did my notes on uh, Thursday, 
uh, I came up with another way that I would say this today if I was doing it, so I'll just give it to you. And that is, it's an old-fashioned word. I'm an old-fashioned guy, but here it is. Be chaste. C-H-A-S-T-E. Be chaste. And here's what that means, the reason I really like what it says. It says, to live my life so that I manage my sexuality in a way that honors God and fits the way he designed me. To live my way in a, lot, in a way that honors God with my sexuality and the way he designed me. That's what it means to be chaste. And so that's what I encourage you as you're married to live your life within the boundaries that he established. Secondly, for those who are not married, be celibate. Be celibate. So to be celibate, it, you know what it means. It means to refrain from sex unless you're married. To refrain from sex unless you're married. See, I'll just say it again. God has designed and set up sex that is to be limited to those who are married. A man and a woman in marriage. You just can't get around this. Sexual intimacy outside of marriage, according to the Bible, is sexual immorality. And in the words of that great theologian, Beyonce, you better put a ring on it. Okay? <laughs> better put a ring on it. Third. For those who have blown it sexually, be forgiven. Be forgiven. That's what I hope you hear today. Be forgiven. Turn away from your sexual sin and receive God's amazing grace. Turn to Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to hear. God is not asking for perfection. He's asking for repentance when you fail. To receive his forgiveness when you fail. He's offering you his love. He's offering you his acceptance. And it's based on what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And look at these verses from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. All people. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. All people. And we are instructed to turn from God, repent, turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. And folks, that's our message. Everyone can have forgiveness for their sins. Everyone can know the love of a Savior. One of the things that I want to mention today is that, and that I love about our church, actually, is that I love the fact that our church has people in it who are right in the middle of the mess of figuring this out. In the middle of sexual, what we call sexual sin, and the middle of sexual confusion, and I love that that's the kind of church we are, that folks can come here and they can not feel judged, but they can feel accepted and they can feel loved and they can understand that what we're talking about is what God's best is for someone and they can embrace God's best. And here's a, but here's another reason that I love the fact that we are a church that has people who are confused sexually and even confused in other areas of sin as well. And I love that because here's the deal. If our church is ever full of people who feel they've conquered it and have it all together, 
what will happen is this, is that we will feel that we did it on our own. We will end up feeling that it was because we were strong enough that we conquered what those people can't conquer. And we'll become self-righteous and judgmental, and we will only love people like us. And we won't be able to help people who are still in sin, like us, to discover the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about. That's why we love our church and love the fact that we're able to present topics like this in a way that would allow people to still be in process, to still be in their grappling and wrestling and understanding with God, and maybe even reject God, but still be here. Because there's always hope for that person to choose Christ. Always hope. I want to leave you with one verse because I just want to, it's kind of removing into Christmas, but it, all, it really fits with what we're talking about here. And it's really about this beauty idea of overvaluing beauty because I think some of us still need to be set free here. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And it says this, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Now, here's why I wanted us to read that today. This is what it says about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There was nothing beautiful or attractive. There was nothing that drew us to Him. And here's the reason I wanted us to understand that today is because some of us feel that's true about us. There's nothing beautiful. There's nothing attractive. There's no reason that someone would look at me and want me based upon what is on the outside. But God looked at His Son when His Son was said to not be beautiful and not be attractive. And God said to, about His Son, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son in whom I, lo- in whom I pour out my love. My love. I love my Son. And that's what God wants you to know too. Is that God loves you apart from your beauty but because of what His Son did for you on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, this is a lot to wrestle with. And Lord, I, my prayer is, really, there's nobody in the room who thinks they have this together. It's like smug thinking this was for someone else. Oh, I think we all need this. And so, Father, as we come to you now, we just want to tell you that we love you and we want to receive your love and we want to receive your acceptance today that you see us as lovely inside and out you're the one that made this body with this face with this hair these fingers with these toes with this nose with this these teeth you're the one who made me god help me to love me as you do the way you made me God, I know that there are those in the room who are in the middle of the struggle of determining whether your way with sex is the best way. I just think there's probably some people mad right now even. And Lord, I, I want to pray now, just with all I can pray, with your power, that you would allow those folks to see the grace in what we've talked about today, to see the mercy that's there, to see the love, the acceptance that you have. Even if it means change. And Father, I know that there are those in the room who have never said yes to Jesus Christ, and so they don't even have the power within them. 
that you make available. And so if you want to today, just you can say yes to Jesus. And just say it in your heart. You don't have to say this out loud. Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I want to receive forgiveness and cleansing. I have sinned this much, so much, Jesus. Forgive me and make me clean. And I want to walk within your boundaries, especially today as we've talked about your boundaries for purity in my life. And God, I pray that as we know we are loved, that you would help us to love others as we've been loved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.